Father, we do thank you for just being able to gather together and sing, Lord, these inspired words, Lord, that reflect us on your cross, your love, your work of grace in our lives. And for this, God, we give you thanks, Lord. Where would we be without you, Lord? Where would any of us be apart from your love and grace and mercy, apart from Jesus Christ? For this, we are so grateful. And Lord, we would ask tonight that you would continue to speak to us on the subject of prayer. Continue, Lord, to just give us insights into the power of prayer, this privilege that we have of prayer. God, we ask that you would just speak to us in every way that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to continue talking about prayer, and specifically tonight about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, a very famous passage concerning spiritual warfare, where the Apostle Paul really identifies that for the Christian, well, really for all, There is a spiritual realm that cannot be seen with the natural eye, but is very real. And that there is a warfare, a spiritual battle taking place. A battle between the forces of God and Satan and his forces. It is a battle for the souls and lives of men. It is a battle for dominion over the earth. And Paul says this very clearly, if you'll open there in Ephesians 6. Look with me, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means schemes of the devil. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle that is raging. It is uh, coming against the Christian, but really it is coming against all men. Satan, having rebelled against God, although he was himself created by God, he and his demonic forces of fallen angels are resisting God and coming against the things of God. And this battle is not necessarily seen. We see the effects of it in our natural life and world, but we cannot see the actual battle itself. It's happening, the Bible says, in heavenly or spiritual places, unseen spiritual forces. And it is a battle for the souls of men. This, that word wiles, schemes. Satan uses temptation. He uses deception, manipulation. He tries to persuade us to be ruled by our natural tendencies of greed and selfishness. He appeals to that carnal, that fleshly man. And he knows just what buttons to push and just how to lure us and to tempt us. And his goal, of course, is to steal, kill, and destroy us. He is looking to separate us from God. He is looking to draw us away unto our own vice. And he uses this deception and his his desire is to rule and manipulate us. God, on the other hand, he calls us and draws us by his spirit in love. God does not force, God does not manipulate, God does not deceive. God speaks in truth and He calls us to a relationship with Himself 
that is based on love. And He calls us to walk in love. His desire, of course, is to save us and give eternal life and a peaceful relationship with Him. He calls us to the walk of love, caring for one another, walking in compassion, generosity. Satan calling us to walk in greed and selfishness, but the Lord desiring us to walk in grace and love and generosity. Galatians 5 and verse 17. We see this battle identified, and we know that this battle even comes down into our personal lives. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Got it. Very good. Just want to make sure it was up there. Nice work up there. Even in our personal lives, um, we know, we can sense, those that are spiritually enlightened, there's something going on. There is a battle. Paul would say in Romans, you know, that the very things that I want to do, I, I find myself unable to do. The very things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a battle going on. And to live the Christian life without, first of all, recognizing that there is a battle is really naive. You're going to be like this easy target for the enemy. And also to live this Christian life knowing that there is a battle, but not preparing yourself for that battle, again, makes you very vulnerable. You can't imagine that a, that a Marine would go out into a combat zone without his full gear, without his complete training. It would be sending him really to certain death. And so it is in our Christian journey, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. There is forces that would resist us and come against us. And if we're going to be effective, if we're going to walk in the victory that God has for us, then we are going to have to at least know of this battle and prepare ourselves for this battle. And this is what Paul is calling us to, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, calling us to this in Ephesians chapter 6, put on that full armor. There is this battle for the souls of men. We see it even in our personal lives and walk. There is also this battle for dominion of the earth. You see, in the beginning, God created the earth, and He said it was good. Things were good. It was perfect. And He created man and woman, and He gave them dominion over the earth. But something happened when Satan came and tempted the woman and the man, and they sinned, and they fell, and Satan then took took their place of dominion in the earth. They forfeited their place of dominion in the earth, and Satan began to have a place, a a foothold. There are a number of places where it talks about Satan being the, the ruler of this earth. You remember when Satan tempted Jesus. He took him up on the pinnacle and showed him the kingdoms of the earth, and he said, all these are mine to give to you. Jesus did not contest Satan's rulership in that in that moment of temptation. Satan has now gained this access and this power through man's fall and man's surrendering it. But Jesus has won it back at the cross. Jesus, is that's one of the reasons He came, not just to redeem man, but to really redeem all of creation. 
There's a passage in Romans that says all of creation is groaning. You know that? Remember that passage? Waiting for the full redemption that God has planned. It's as though Christ has won the victory and His kingdom now exists in a spiritual realm within the hearts and lives of His people, but it will one day become a physical realm as well. And so we are in this kind of waiting for the fullness of what Christ has won. Something about our salvation, it it cleanses us from the past. It is also very alive in our present, but it also offers a hope of a future. The fullness of what Christ has won has not yet come to to, to be seen. That is yet to be revealed in the days that that will come. Uh, Let me remind you of Colossians 2 and verse 15 concerning Christ's victory at the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. Of course, those are spiritual forces. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. His public spectacle was the resurrection. Victory in that resurrection made public when Christ came out of the grave. Christ will soon lay full claim to His victory, and establish His kingdom upon the earth. This is what we believe. This is what we hope for. This is what we look for. But in the meantime, Satan continues to cling and scratch and hold on and try to do as much damage as he can, even though he has been defeated. Do you remember when Saul, King Saul, was rejected by the Lord? He said, the Lord has rejected you. Samuel came and said, Saul, because you've rejected following God, God has rejected you to rule as king over Israel. And he has selected another. Samuel went and found David and anointed David as king to rule over Israel. Well, it was some time before Saul actually surrendered that rulership, That even though in God's mind it was already accomplished. Saul was rejected. David was called and anointed. But Saul continued to try to cling to the kingdom that had been taken from him. He tried to hold on to what God had already removed. And ultimately God fulfilled his purpose. In the same way, Satan is continuing to battle against uh, the, the things of God, even though Christ has defeated him. And today Jesus is advancing this kingdom, but it's advanced in a spiritual way, in the hearts and lives of his followers. And eventually that physical kingdom will come. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of Christ's victory in verse 9, he says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ has already been exalted. Christ has already been established as the victor. But these things that, that we read of, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, that hasn't happened yet, has it? It has happened in the hearts of those that have come to faith in Christ. We've bowed our knee. We've confessed with our tongue that He's Lord. But most of the world, the majority of the world, they neither bow nor confess to Christ's Lordship. So this battle, even though it is won and Christ has already accomplished it, the battle continues to rage as Satan attempts to hold on and cling to the lives of men and his place of rulership upon the earth. So, there is a battle, but it's important to recognize 
that we as believers, we do our battling from a position of victory. We are not battling to try and win a victory. We are battling in from a position and place of victory. And so this gives us great hope and this gives us great power in these things that God has entrusted to us to do battle. The equipment, the weapons of our warfare, the, the, the armor. These things are divinely powerful and they will assure victory in our lives as we apply them and walk in them. We continue that passage in Ephesians 6. Those first few verses identifying the battle. And now we see how the battle is to be prepared for. You're in Ephesians 6. Look now with, verse, with me in verse 13. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because we're engaged in this spiritual warfare, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And very important here, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." We are waging the war, and we are to stand in Christ's victory. Having done all to stand, stand. Having put on these things, truth, righteousness, peace, salvation. Where do, those, where do we find those things? Are those things that, that we generate within ourselves? Those are things that have been given to us through our faith in Christ. Paul is saying, stand in those things that Christ has accomplished in your life, that you have been made righteous by the blood of Christ, that he has, you now have peace with God. You're no longer His enemy. You're no longer living in fear or, or anxiety or doubt or sh- shame or condemnation. But you have this peace with God, the helmet of salvation. You've been rescued. You've been saved. You you put on truth and you take up a shield of faith wherein you are able to extinguish those spiritual attacks that would come at you. And they come, don't they? Those darts, here they come. Faith, believing and standing on the promises of God. Having done all to stand, stand. And so you are ready for battle because you are now equipped with those things that Christ has accomplished on your behalf. But we see also in this battle, we see some offensive weapons as well. Many of these weapons are defensive. Helmets, right? Um, Shoes for marching. But uh, a lot of these things, you know, girding yourself with truth. But there is something here, a couple of things. We see, this. first of all, the sword of the Spirit. A sword is not just to decorate the, the armor. A sword is to be used, and it is the Word of God. This gives you opportunity to advance against the kingdom of darkness with the Word, the power of God's Word, as you speak it, as you believe it, as you share it, as you teach it, as you study it. 
the kingdom of God is advanced by the truth and light of His Word invading the kingdom of darkness. The Word of God renews the mind. People that have been in bondage, people that are confused, people that don't understand the meaning of life. God's Word comes in and it breaks those chains. It sets you free. It can deliver you from all kinds of addiction and bondage. It can set you free. It it gives you the truth and meaning and purpose that God has created for you. How do we know these things? That He loves us. That He wants to show us and extend us His mercy. It's His Word. And the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. But not just the Word of God we see here. It's not by coincidence that Paul has, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's almost like one fluid thought. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always in prayer. It's almost as though one of the ways that we use God's Word is in prayer. That prayer becomes empowering to our... uh, Excuse me, the Word of God empowers our prayer life. It makes our prayer life effective. Because now we know what to pray. We know how to pray. We know what God wants to do in our lives, in the earth, in our fellowship. How would we know how to pray? Except the Word of God has illuminated our hearts and minds to His will. And so now our prayers are actually a weapon in this spiritual warfare. And that's what I want us to finish the balance of our time here tonight, is recognizing that prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a powerful weapon in your spiritual battle. You are in a battle. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. And if you abandon prayer, you have left yourself without one of the most important weapons in your arsenal. Prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that the Lord has entrusted to us. And it is a way in which we can affect This battle, we can bring God's light, God's kingdom into our circumstance as we pray, as we pray according to His Word. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always, so when should we pray? Well, always. (laughs) When do we pray? Well, I'd have to say, not always, but I should. It's an attitude of prayer. So we should be always praying, and we should be praying with all prayer, all types of prayer. We've discussed some of the different types of prayer, haven't we? One of the types of prayer we discussed was worship. Worship is that praising God, and that's a prayer to Him in our declaration of His goodness, His faithfulness. You know, I think that that's a spiritual weapon against a lot of things. What about depression? What about discouragement? What about anxiety, fear? What about despair? Anybody have any, any, any of those darts come at you lately? <laughs> you know, worship, worship has a power to dispel those things. The Scriptures tell us, uh, I don't have this one for you, but I'll just remind you, you probably heard it, it's in Isaiah, the gar- put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. One of the weapons that we have to fight against despair and discouragement and depression, which come and try to crowd in on all of our lives, worship. 
That's a prayer expression that makes God and reminds us, makes God great in our remembrance. He's great. He doesn't change, but He changes in our perspective. He changes in our understanding. We again see Him for who He is as we declare Him. Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. For the help of His countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember You from the land of the Jordan. Praise and worship is an expression of prayer that pushes back the, the, the darkness of discouragement and, and despair and depression. And it also builds and strengthens faith. When you begin to call out on what God is and what He has done, when you bring that, when you call that to remembrance, it, it strengthens your faith. That's right. He is the God that loves me. He is the God that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for me. I'm not guilty any longer in my sin. He has forgiven me. Nothing is impossible with Him. All of these exhortations that we declare of God, they strengthen and build our faith. They build our prayer life. They become offensive weapons in our warfare. We also talked about a second kind of prayer, the prayer of petition, making our requests known unto God. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help us. Lord, we need your provision. Lord, we need your strength. Making requests known. This also, I believe, is a a spiritual weapon. Because if we don't make our requests known to Him, there's something about turning it over to the Lord. The Bible says, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. Something happens when I submit it to Him in prayer. My perspective changes. My circumstance has not yet changed, but my perspective has changed. It's though I've, I've been carrying this thing, my cares, and they're weighing me down. And I get into that prayer room and I unload that burden and I cast it over onto Him. And He just picks it up with one little tiny finger and says, I can handle this. <laughs> Phew, thank you, Lord. Now it's in your hands. I've delivered it over to you. And I trust you. I cast this upon you, my cares. Lord, here are my needs. Here's what's coming against me. Here's the the things that I'm struggling with. Here are the things that are causing me anxiety. Didn't Paul say, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. This also... Is a, is a weapon against those feelings of being overwhelmed, those feelings of anxiety, wondering what's going to happen. Am I going to make it? Are things going to work out? This petition, part of our petition is also asking the Lord to forgive us of our sins. You know, that's a healthy practice in prayer, confessing and asking God to forgive. Because the Bible says if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know, when we sin, and I don't say if, I wish I could say if, as if it were a rare occurrence among us all. But you know, when we sin, there is a tendency to draw back from God. There is a tendency to feel a sense of guilt and shame that we, are, we don't really want to show our face in the presence of God. 
It's the natural feelings of guilt and condemnation that sin brings. But when we come to God in humble confession and dependence upon Him, and we cast it in, we say, Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned. I've fallen. I've failed. I'm asking You to forgive me and cleanse me and strengthen me that I might walk free of these things, that I might not sin against You. I'm telling you, when the Lord lifts that burden, there's great victory there. You see, the enemy would like to spiral you down into condemnation. It becomes a cycle. You feel bad and you stay away from God. You stay away from His people. And then what happens? Well, you continue to fall because you're not around the strength and the, and the restoration that would strengthen you to keep you from falling. And you kind of think, what difference does it make anyway? I'm already here. I've already blown it. And then that per, per, uh, you know, promotes even more despair and more guilt and more condemnation. And that's the spiritual work of Satan to get you down. Boy, he's, when he's tempting you, he's telling you how it doesn't matter. But after you stumble, oh, how it matters. Oh, how you are, have no right to be in, in the presence of God. Don't even think about it. You loser. You think you're spiritual. You're nothing. You, God doesn't even want you. He doesn't need you. And all of that condemnation that would come in. What's, what's the remedy for that? What's our weapon? What's our armor against that? The work of Christ. The righteousness that He provides. Praying in confession and receiving forgiveness that He justly provides. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it. Not because I, was, I went out and did three really good things to kind of promote you know, my case. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me alone. And this then restores my walk with Him. That is power. That is spiritual power in your life. And that, that, that cleansing and that work of grace in your life, this is also what empowers you to walk free of sin. And God begins to, to those things begin to fall off of you as you continue to walk in relationship with Him, as He begins to transform you from within. And He draws you not by guilt and shame, but through love and mercy and kindness bringing you into that place of close fellowship with Him, and your heart in loyalty to Him begins to live for Him, and the sins of the flesh begin. God begins to give you victory. God begins to give you uh, strength to walk without those, those scale, without those weights and encumbrances. So this prayer of petition, a very powerful, powerful weapon in our warfare, we ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who, forgive, who, who have trespassed against us. Thinking of the Lord's Prayer, you know, as we receive forgiveness, we're also reminded that we should be forgiving. Because the enemy would like to bind you up that way too. He'd like to get you all bound up with hurt feelings and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. You know, that'll cripple you as much as your own sin. That is a sin as well, to walk in unforgiveness. Oh, how the enemy would like to cripple our spiritual lives that way. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his devices. We must, our faith, our belief in these truths must protect us against those wiles, those darts. And so prayer, such a powerful, 
uh, part of our spiritual weaponry in doing spiritual warfare. And he says, being watchful, I'm, back, I'm now back in Ephesians 6, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And he goes on and actually says, and pray for me too, that I will be bold in declaring the gospel. That, that, this speaks of that third type of prayer. Paul is encouraging them, pray with all, pray always with all prayer, with all the prayer uh, resources that you have, your worship life, your petition life, but also now your intercessory prayer. Praying for others. Paul says, with all watchfulness, perseverance, being spiritually alert, you're not just out there on the battlefield, you know, daydreaming, la-di-da, and the weapon is, you know, the enemy is creeping in behind you and, and circling some of your fellow soldiers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, no, be watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so we pray for one another. And this is a powerful weapon in our spiritual armory. Praying in an intercessory way, praying for others, praying for one another, praying for those in the faith, praying for those that are outside the faith, lost loved ones, prodigal children, work colleagues, friends from you know years past, those that you love, those that you care for, and you see them living in sin, you see them rebelling against God. Believers who once walked close with God but now have fallen away. What do we do for them? How can we help them? How can we, how can we fight in that battle? We can pray. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I'll try to have this for you up on top there. Verse 3. For though we walk, again, this idea of spiritual warfare, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here's a quote from Chuck Smith. Through prayer... You can advance with the battering ram and demolish the strongholds the enemy has on individual lives, freeing them from the power by which the enemy holds them captive. Intercessory prayer is a divinely empowered weapon. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not flesh and blood. They're not man-made. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible says there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. God has given us this powerful weapon of intercessory prayer wherein we can walk into the spiritual realm and do damage. We can push back the forces and the boundaries of darkness through our prayer life. These are not things that we can see with the natural eye, but these are things that we know to be true by the Word of God. God has declared these things to us. Do you remember Jesus in Luke 22, interceding for Peter? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It was the intercessory prayer of Christ over Peter that assured Peter of a return to him. Peter did fall. Peter did fail because Peter was still in his own strength. Peter was trying to to be bold for Christ in himself. And remember when Jesus was praying in the garden and Peter was what? Sleeping. (laughs) That was a time he should have been praying too and strengthening his spiritual man. But instead he was overwhelmed with fatigue and he slept. And Jesus knew that he wasn't ready for this battle. And Satan had specifically asked to destroy him. But Jesus interceded. Jesus said, no. When you return to me, you gather your brethren. You strengthen them them as well. I have this sense that Jesus just simply would not let Peter go. And I think that maybe there are times in our own intercessory prayer lives where we, where we, we just have to just say no. I will not surrender this loved one to the devil. I will not stop praying for this prodigal child that is gone into the world that has fallen into a lifestyle that has gone away of you know their own sinful pursuits that is entangled and confused that has gotten involved with the wrong people and the wrong things and the wrong uh, practices oh well i raised him right i raised her right her her issue now Something has to rise up in our hearts and we have to go in and do battle for those that can't do battle for themselves. And intercessory prayer is where those battles are are advanced. On your knees is where much spiritual ground is gained. And it's through prayer. And I I use the prodigal child. It could be a loved one. It could be a family member. It could be a co-worker. You know, I've I've got a high school friend of mine. Uh, he doesn't know this, but I am still praying for him. He's a guy I grew up with from elementary school, and he was just such a, a close friend. I got saved, and he didn't, and our paths just... But you know what? I still love him. I still think about him. He's still on my heart. He's still on my mind, and I'm still praying for him. And I'm been, I've been back to a few reunions now. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how many reunions. You know what? Your reunion I'm on. You know, to where you can't... It's bad enough to like, who are you again? <laughs> They don't recognize me, and I don't recognize them. But I, I keep I'm, I keep going because I'm one. There's only a few guys I want to see, and they're guys that I'm praying for. And I'm just hoping that one of these times I'm going to hear, Richard, I received Christ, and that's my prayer. And I'm going to continue to intercede. I'm going to continue to ask God to push those forces back and to bring His word to their to their path. Jesus interceding for Peter. The powerful statement of intercessory prayer. It really is one of our greatest weapons. Often we think of prayer as the last resort. But it's our best weapon, really. It should be our first resort. Pray always. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer should be the first thing we do. 
then you can do a lot of things to try and help. But often we run out and try to do everything we can, and then when it all fails, it all falls, I guess all we can do now is pray. (laughs) No, it really, we shouldn't be doing anything until we pray. Now, just a side note here, we don't have time to go into great detail, but I think one of the things as we talk about spiritual warfare, intercession, praying in kind of a a spiritual battle uh, sort of mindset, I do believe that fasting is something that also is is a tool that God has given to us to empower our prayer life. Do you remember Jesus healing that epileptic boy the Father brought the boy to Jesus and said, please deliver my son. He often casts into the fire. He falls into the water. He hurts himself. Your disciples could not help him. They couldn't cure him. And Jesus, of course, prayed and cast the demon out of him and healed him. And his disciples later said, you know, Lord, why why couldn't we deliver that boy? They had certainly prayed and seen many miracles at that point. It's not that they lacked faith, but Jesus said, no, this This comes out only through prayer and what? Fasting. Jesus said there are some spiritual battles where there is an intensity in prayer. And you can can find a greater intensity in your prayer life when you fast. Fasting is a way of denying the flesh. It is a way of kind of putting the flesh under. And whenever the flesh is put under, the spirit man has opportunity to be strengthened. It brings a certain emphasis and focus to your prayer life. Prayer and fasting, they're to go together, really. You know, you can fast and not pray, and all you'll be is hungry, really. (laughs) But if you fast, make sure that you're praying. The whole idea is that you're setting aside those normal comforts, those normal tending to your desires and fleshly wants, and you're instead focusing on prayer. There is a time for prayer and fasting. Now, you know, I don't think that it's something that should be legalistically, you know, regimented in your life, but I think it's a, it's a, it should be a part of your prayer life. There will be times when things are of such concern, where the spiritual battle is so critical that you would supplement your prayer with a time of fasting. A lot of different ways to pray, to fast that are practical and not dangerous. Again, we're not, that's not the main focus of our study tonight, but certainly it should be understood that that is one of the tools that God has given us to provide a focus and depth in prayer that works even uh, more powerfully in that spiritual battle. I'm going to close tonight with just a few practical thoughts. We'll call this our battle plan in prayer. I'm taking many of these particular bullets from Pastor Chuck. That the book, our a prayer, our glorious privilege. I, we have those in now. They've come in. I think we've sold out through the first block. I'll order more. Let us know if you want some. Alan will be at the table after the service. Um, so this is kind of serving as a general guideline for our study. I, you know, we're looking at some other things and including other verses as well, but. Uh, the book is providing some, some real good insights on prayer, and I, I, I want to recommend it to you strongly. And as we talk about just some practical things for the battle plan, number one, make God's will the focus of your prayers. 
And we've talked about that from the beginning, right? Prayer is not trying to get God to, to do and accomplish our will. Prayer is trying to invite His will to be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So one practical way in terms of a battle plan is I want to make sure that my prayers are in line with God's will. And we've already looked at that, some, some practical ways. Clearly the best way is to, is to pray through the Word of God. The Word of God enlightens you on His will, on His character, His nature. Those things that we can pray with confidence because we know God is desiring to do them. And so making sure that our prayer is focused on His will and not just our own. Number two, pray through Jesus. You know, you, maybe, maybe you've kind of wondered why you know, that seems to be on the tail end of a lot of prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? We say that all the time. Lord, all these things, and then at the end, in Jesus' name, amen. Almost kind of a little tagline to our prayer. Well, there is something significant to praying in the name of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who has pioneered our faith. He is the one who now stands at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for us. He is our high priest. He is the one that has gained access for us into the very throne and presence of the Father. We do not come in on our own merit. We would have no audience with God except for Jesus Christ. We want to take full advantage of what Christ has done. We want, when we come in prayer, you know, here, here's why that's important. Here, because you can, have, you can have a feeble prayer life if you imagine that, well, I'm not a very strong Christian. I don't know. I've had a bad week. I'm going to offer this prayer, but I'm pretty sure God's not listening to me today. I wish the pastor was here. I'm sure his prayers would be heard. Mine aren't. Need to get somebody who God would listen to. Hey, brother, will you pray for me? I, I, you know, there's idea that somehow God's God's ear is attentive only to us when we do are doing well. But the truth is that when we pray in the name and through Christ, we're always doing well. Because I don't come in my own righteousness. I don't come to God in my own strength. I come on the basis of what Christ has done for me. He gives me access. Come boldly where? To the throne of grace. That you might receive help and strength in time of need. My boldness is in because I'm coming in Christ's name. No man cometh to the Father, what? Except by me. So we approach God, we pray to the Father, but we pray through our faith in Christ. And we pray in His name. That means that I'm coming on because of the access that He has given, what He has done in my life. I'm also praying in His name, believing that it's in His, in the interest of His kingdom. So it's, my prayer is an attempt to be aligned with what Christ wants and desires to accomplish in the earth. And so I'm praying through Him. Number three, be persistent. That's the hard one, isn't it? Being persistent. Now, some, some worry like, well, gosh, you know, do we have to like wear God down? Is it just, he's just kind of reluctant? But if we just nag him long enough, maybe he'll, he'll come through? Well, that's not, that's not the reason we're to be persistent, but we are called to be persistent. 
I, I think of the Apostle Paul, who spoke of a thorn in his flesh. You remember that? How many times did he pray that God would remove that? Three times. He continued to pray and ask. Now, God finally gave him the answer, and the answer was, no. <laughs> this thorn is there for a purpose. It's working something in your life and character. And my grace is sufficient for you. And so God had allowed that thorn to exist. Paul didn't want it. Who would? I don't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. So he prayed. He prayed. Didn't God didn't remove it. Prayed again. He prayed three times. Finally, God broke through with, with an understanding of why it was there. What about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? How many times did He pray that the Father would pass this cup from Him? Three times. God gave Him the same answer, didn't He? No. There is no other way. Lord, if there be another way, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. And it was ultimately understood, this is my will. This is what You must do to complete the destiny of salvation and redemption. Therefore, God hath highly exalted Him. That's why He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He suffered unto death. So, persisting in prayer. Jesus would teach, and, and we don't have time to look at these, but I'll just reference them. You can study them. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives a parable. He talks about this man who has guests arrive to his home unexpectedly. It's late at night. He has nothing in his home to really feed or can, you know, take care of them. So he goes to his friend's house and he pounds on the door. And his friend says, go away, I'm already in bed. Me and my family, we're already asleep. Talk, come see me tomorrow. He just keeps persisting and knocking on the door. He says, no, I can't. I've got this situation. I've got to address it tonight. And Jesus would liken that as being persistent in prayer. Following that parable, he would say, I, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. A persistence, a pressing in prayer. Jesus would speak of another parable in Luke chapter 18, and he would talk about this woman who was calling on this unjust judge to settle her case. She was seeking justice from an unjust, ungodly judge. And she persisted and persisted, and finally the judge gave her the ruling that she needed. He gave, he gave in to her requests, and Jesus would use again that as a, par as a parable, and He would say, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, not that God is this unjust judge, but rather by contrast, if an unjust judge can be persisted upon, how much more your heavenly Father who loves you, your heavenly Father who is for you, who is longing to give you the things of the kingdom, that we would persist in prayer. Continuing in prayer. Now listen, continuing in prayer does not change God. God doesn't just change His will and purpose because you just keep praying. God has a will and purpose. It doesn't change. What changes through persistent prayer is not God. But oftentimes what changes is us. Something going on as we continue to persist in prayer. 
You know, I've found just in my own life that sometimes my first inclination in prayer is usually kind of oftentimes turns out to be a bad request. And I'm back in there two or three days. Lord, remember what I said two or three days ago? Don't answer that prayer, Lord. That's not what I want now. I need something else now. So sometimes there is a persistence that God wants to draw us through in that we will, through that time of prayer, we will be discovering His will and His purpose. God is changing and working on us. There have there been times in my life where I really felt like the Lord was trying to draw faith up out of me. And he, and he creates a, a circumstance where, you know, I just, it's not just some little, oh Lord, you know, please do this, and poof, God does it. God is looking for something in me to, per, to come after, to knock, to, to draw near. Something that God is trying to get my attention on in focus and prayer life, in spiritual battle, that God wants me to persist because He wants me to stay at the battle. He wants me to continue in that prayer closet. God is working on me as He draws me out. He's working on you as He draws faith out through prayer. And He calls you to that persisting in prayer. Listen, He knows even before you pray what, what's on your lips. We're not informing Him. We are, but rather, we are opening the door for Him to work. We are aligning our will with His. We pray, and we should pray, and pray until you get an answer. Now, the answer may be no. We hate that answer, but that's sometimes the answer. But pray until the Lord really reveals and speaks to your heart and you get a sense of what God is doing. Continue to pray even after what you think may be a breakthrough. Well, this, this happens sometimes. You know, we're praying, and all of a sudden we see a little glimmer. Oh, I don't need to pray about that anymore. And then all of a sudden, it crashes down again, you know, kind of relapses. Now I've got to get back in there and pray. Pray it through. Pray it through all the way until God finishes what He's calling you to pray for and what He's calling you to pray in. Number four in your battle plan of prayer, be specific. Be specific. Oh God, please save all the people in Monrovia. In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Don't be lazy in prayer. You've got to get in there. You've got to call them out by name. What's on your heart? Bring it into God. We need to be specific. We need to be asked name by name, situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance. Paul said, praying always with all prayer, perseverance, watching, alert, in tune with what's going on in the spiritual realm, and putting it to prayer. Be specific in your prayers. You know what happens when you're specific? When the answer comes, it's that much more rewarding. When you pray specifically for an individual or for a circumstance, rather than just kind of a generic prayer, because then it happens in, well, maybe that was a result of my prayer. I don't know. But when I pray specifically and God begins to work, I know that He's, he's answering a prayer. I'm going to close here. i got one more thing, but well, I'll, I'm going to save that. One more thing. Five, pray with assurance. I was going to give you a little example of a specific prayer that the Lord answered, but 
if I have time after, I don't want to leave this undone. Pray with assurance. That's number five, our final step in our battle plan. Pray with assurance. This means praying with faith. Praying believing that God is at work when you pray. I'm saying that prayer is a powerful weapon. That the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now that's what His Word declares. Don't think of prayer as this feeble kind of just, you know, last resort. Pray with a confidence that God will work. We must see prayer as a divinely powered, powerful weapon. And when you see that, when you begin to realize that that's my nuclear option, you know, I'm going to go nuclear on this thing, I'm going to pray. You are bringing the resources of heaven to bear in a spiritual battle where you have no where, where nothing in your natural man or strength can fight. There's nothing really in the natural that can bring about spiritual advancement and victory. Now, there may be times where God will call you to walk and accomplish and say and do things in the natural, but it is that the victories are actually happening at the spiritual realm, and it's coming through prayer. A couple of things here now, questions that often come up, and I, I know even in my own heart, what about praying for our unsaved friends and loved ones? How do I pray someone into the kingdom? Is it even right to pray for them? Because after all, God will not change the free will. God will not force someone to choose Christ if they were, if their heart, if they do not want Christ. And that's true. No one that doesn't want to be saved will be saved. God is not out forcing anyone into salvation. And so our prayer life, we can't ask God to somehow, you know, remote control this guy's will into the kingdom. But here's what we can do in praying. And I want to bring a couple of verses to remind you what the battle is for those that are unsaved. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, and we'll, we'll close with these two verses. And uh, He says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel... But be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And here's the important part. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Satan is actually taking the captive, those that are outside of Christ, to do and accomplish his will. Also 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, now that's Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What can we do in praying for the lost? We can go in and do spiritual battle against Satan's hold on them. And you can pray against the forces of darkness. Lord, open this brother's mind. God, break Satan's uh, stranglehold on him. He is lost in his sin. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't see it. Open his eyes. 
The devil is trying to blind him. The devil is trying to manipulate him. The devil is trying to confuse him. And he's yes, he's he's choosing these things, but Satan is also manipulating him and blinding him. And that can be that can be fought in prayer. That's what that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What strongholds? Satanic strongholds, spiritual strongholds. And that's what many of those that are not in Christ, they are in the stronghold, stronghold of Satan. And we can pray and ask God to break that and call God's power into that situation. No, God will not manipulate their will, but God will send that prayer into that darkness and He will push back the forces of darkness. And we've seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it. People that thought they were, you know, they were living in sin, completely blind, completely naive to what they were doing, thinking they were fine, thinking they were okay, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to clear the clouds, and they awaken to the, in their conscience, and they realize I'm lost and need a Savior. And now the Spirit of God, the light of the Gospel, is able to shine through and bring them to repentance. These are things that you can accomplish and do in prayer. And that's why you continue to pray. Continue to pray because Satan continues to work. He continues to do and advance his agenda over the lives of those that he holds captive. And with each prayer, I imagine you know, that grip just loosening and one finger being pried back at a time through intercessory prayer. And finally, Satan has to let him go. Satan is defeated. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the victory in Christ. And our prayers are powerful. The prayers of the saints are powerful in this spiritual warfare and working in the lives of even those that are lost. And we can pray and we should pray and continue to pray. It's a powerful weapon and we should use it, as Paul said, always. We'll close now. Father, we thank You for these truths concerning the Word of God and prayer. We recognize tonight that there are spiritual forces at work. God, we can see it. We can see it. For those that are spiritually enlightened, those that are spiritually perceptive, we can see it. We can see it in our own lives. We can see it in the lives of our loved ones. Lord, we can see it in our culture, in our generation. We can see the forces of darkness and what their agenda is and how they're looking to crowd out the Word of God in our day. And Lord, I do pray that You would call Your church to prayer. I believe there is much that we can do in prayer. There are many things we can do after we pray, Lord, but there's nothing that we can do before we pray. And so I ask that You would give us that, first of all, that understanding that our prayers are effective, that our prayers are a powerful weapon, and that we would pray with these practical things that we've considered tonight as our prayer battle plan. God, I ask that You would you would work and that we would see lord just incredible things because we pray and because we call your will into our very lives 
And as we're closed here tonight in prayer, and as our heads are bowed and just finishing up tonight, I do want to give that opportunity, if you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with the Lord, it may be that the Lord is speaking to you. It may be that He is drawing you towards Him right now with His love. It may be that you don't know Him and God is calling you and that's His Spirit. It may be that the the, the clouds have cleared here for a moment and the light of His love for you and His truth, that Jesus died on that cross for you, that you might be made righteous in the presence of God, that you might have this wonderful relationship and communion with Him, that you would call Him Father because you would be His child. It may be that the Lord is calling you to receive tonight. And I I want to pray for you if your heart wants to receive Christ and come to faith in Him. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord and rededicate your life to Him. You're here tonight and you've drifted away from the Lord. Your prayer life really non-existent. You've just been kind of living as a natural person, not really as a spiritual person. And the Lord is inviting you to come back to Him tonight. Recommit, rededicate your heart to Him. Surrender again to His Lordship in your life. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him restore you. Let Him renew you here tonight. I'd love to pray for you as well. So if you're here tonight and you need the Lord Jesus into your life for the very first time, or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, would you raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you. I'll pray for you. God bless you, man. Couple hands here. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Any others that would join these that have responded? The Lord speaking to you tonight. You want to be included in this prayer. Just before I pray, anyone else? Let me see your hand. It's between you and the Lord. He's drawing you. It's His Spirit. He loves you. Anyone else? God bless you, sir, as well. So, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts and lives that you've spoken to and touched tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would come into their heart, Jesus, that you would cleanse them of their sin, that they would turn, Lord, from the direction they've been going, and they would turn to you and with open heart, Lord, just receive your grace, your love, your mercy that they would come confidently, not because of their own righteousness, but because of your love and mercy upon their life. Forgive them, Lord. Come into their lives. Begin to direct their steps and become the Lord of their life. And empower them with your Spirit. Help them, Lord. Help us all to walk and live in those things that you've called us to. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.